Well, good morning. Good to be here. It seems like forever since we were here last. Um, lots going on with being um, being at the cabin to make some repairs on some stuff there for Trisha's mother, and then vacation, and then all this past week I've been in Baton Rouge on business. And um, um, while we were, this is just kind of leading into this, while we were in Florida, um, it seems like the plague hit everybody at the beach house. And um, I thought I had uh, slipped by and was, was okay until I got on the plane um, and can't come back and started getting a sore throat and woke up the next morning, couldn't hardly talk. Uh, had to go and work all week uh, sick. And on business trips, I've learned with working with Deloitte, they have it jam-packed. So I work all day, party all night, do team building skills. It, it was fun, but not when you're, not when you're sick. And um, so I suffered through, and I would get back at 8.30, 8.45 at night, have a swig of, uh, of uh, NyQuil. Um, <laughs> That's what you call it. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, you call it whatever you want to, yeah. So that seemed to do the trick for a few nights and then get back home and finally I've gotten some some relief and man it was terrible um, but anyway we pressed through but one thing that I do want to mention um, is while we were at the beach house some really unexpected provisions came um, um, just out of, out of nowhere I had no idea some things were, were uh, um, I just had no idea this was happening, and this is great. These, this is a suddenly, and um, I woke up one morning. It was the middle of the week. We were all at the beach house, and, you know, I was going through my, I have my, my, my normal routine, just as you do, and so I'm there, and I've got my energy drink, and I've just had my smoothie, and I'm going through some emails, and all of a sudden, I get an email that says, congratulations, and it's from the company, and I went, Okay, what are you congratulating me on? I hadn't really been here that long, but um, they in the body of the email it said uh, Deloitte has given you a bonus, and I'm like, wow. And I looked at the bonus, and I was like, gee whiz. And I'm, I was just taken away by it, and uh, you know, really took that moment and you know, thank the Lord for the unexpected, unusual provision and the source it came from. So I just wanted to share that to say. You know, be expected for provision to come in a, in a, in a very unusual way, um, not even knowing that it's, you know, we, we tie most of our, the provision that we do to our, you know, oh, I get X amount of dollars every month, and that's, that's fine, but just, the Lord can move upon somebody to give you something that you had no idea was coming, i.e. a bonus, or, um, and then, but, you know, and this is just kind of shows you the Lord knows uh, we get back, and before we left, our AC was kind of giving us some issues. And so when we get back, um, we come to find out we need to have a replacement to a part and this and that and the other. And so some of the money, that money is going to help go to provide some of the, the payment. Not all of it, but um, just kind of goes to show you how the Lord is, is always working. Now, the other thing is this. While we're in Florida, um, I, I taught the the Sunday school class and then, then the message that morning and it was all on the same topic. I didn't get through with it and <laughs> Stacy knows this, obviously. 
and I had prepared, there was a lot of information, and the Lord knew that I was already going to be ill, and He knew there was going to be some left over. So you, what we're going to do is we're going to take the leftover, because I did not have any time to prepare, and I was sick. You know how that goes. Uh, but we do have a third part of the teaching that I did in Florida. And I think there's some really cool things in this. So the Lord preserved this. I mean, He knows every little detail about us. You know, has, has that ever happened with you? Of course. I mean, it just, and I'm grateful because the Lord knows I love to study, but I just was not, it was, I barely made it through the day, much less having to study for a lesson. Um, but I, I'm really excited to be able to share this with you this morning. And um, there may be a little bit of repetitive things, like for those of you that were there for the definitions, but those that are here did not, um, weren't a part of that. So that's why I put that here. So, Take the 12 baskets that are there. Jesus did the same thing, so, yeah. If you want to look at it as leftovers, go for it. Leftovers are pretty good, though, especially chili, right? It's had time to simmer and the seasoning gets in there. And um, Before we get started, though, I want, to, I want to reference a dream that came a few weeks back. And it, w it was very short. And I remember hearing a message being proclaimed over different groups of people. And I was in it, but I represented um, um, the evangelistic message that was being released. And um, I don't, in this dream, I did not recognize any of the faces. And, you know, I guess that could speak to a lot of the, 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 the new things that are opening up probably in the Brazilian peoples. And um, I recently got connected with a gentleman that is a, um, a worship leader. I, I, I don't know if he's even connected to anything here, but I, um, he, he plays some really, really unique instrumental prophetic string music and stuff that's, that's very profound. And um, so I don't know, maybe it's got something to do with that as well as the other. But in the dream, I, the, the message I kept hearing being released coming out of my spirit to these people was uh, there was a focus on the inward man, the inward man. That was the message. And so I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. Maybe this is something that I'm going to teach them in Florida, but that didn't pan out because I started to study it and it really didn't go anywhere. But I knew there was a significance to that statement being proclaimed over these people because it's, it's God's desire that people all across the world focus on the development of the inward man. And, and that's, that's the, that was the whole focal point of that. And, and God really, he, he takes great delight in that development. Um, now, when you think about the, the things that humanity or even us tend to kind of focus on, a lot of times it can be things that are to be honest, that are not necessarily things that are like the inward man. It could be, you know, some people tend to take great delight in um, their own reputation or um, their own job or their influence. I mean, all, there's all different things that, that we as people can um, focus our time and our energy and our efforts on. But, you know, God, we know God looks for intercessors. So, uh, it kind of relates to this, but it's, 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 it's really, to me, 
whenever the scripture talks about delight, we're going to focus on the things that God himself delights in. He's really sharing with us his heart, what he takes delight in. And so I want to go through this with you um, and see how there's, there's negative instances where uh, we see this, this term used or um, its derivatives, but then there's a lot of positive um, places where this term is used as well. So the Hebrew word, one of them, the root word, is kathetz, and it means to, uh, to be inclined or to, 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 to have a, to bend, or like if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're bent in a certain direction, somebody might have a, uh, to be bent for painting or to be bent for um, an inclination, it's really an inclination towards something. So that, that, that's, and, and then it also can mean to be pleased with. Now, the derivative of it is very, very similar. Um, it's just one syllable difference here. You got a, uh, an E and not an A, uh, chifetz, and it means pleasure, desire, a valuable thing or matter that is in the mind. So also, anytime we're looking at this term, it also focuses in on the thoughts, thoughts of God as well as the heart of God, and then couples with the, the plan of God. It's really, really incredible to see this term that's being used. Now, some other definitions that I, I just started to kind of think about this, the, th thought about the word, you know, we, inclinations. And when you look it up, it speaks of having a certain um, disposition or a bent towards something. Um, and, uh, in, in our thoughts or even can it, our will, and it speaks of like a liking or a preference. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I take great delight in. A lot of them are spiritual. A lot of them are just physical or whatever. And I'm not saying some of those other things are not, I mean, it's not sinful to have a, uh, have a, have a bent towards fitness, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. But the most important thing that God is focused on is this inward man. And I did do a quick study we all know one of the, one of the well-known passages is Psalm 51 where it talks about the inward parts. It talks about the hidden part. There's been teaching on that. It's, um, the Apostle Paul spoke of the um, uh, being renewed in the inward man, and, and it's a daily occurrence. And, and so why the emphasis on the inward? Um, it, it's just because that's the way God looks. That's the way He sees. He's, he's really not looking at me and going, oh man, oh Mark, man, he used to be about 250 pounds. Oh, he's dropped 150. You know, he's not looking at external things. And with Samuel, there's been emphasis on Samuel. Samuel almost made a huge mistake by looking at the outward appearance, right? But then the Lord directed him and said, I, I don't look that way. I'm not looking on the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at, and the heart is part of the inward man. It's just the way God and so that, that's our message. That's our message. And part of that inward man is he's, he's looking for people that will partner as, as intercessors and stand in the gap. And, and, and all the things that he's focused on in us in, throughout the years, that makes up the inward man. There's a lot to the inward man. I can't go and put, I can't, maybe you can. If you do, please um, enlighten me, but I can't put my finger on one, one aspect and say, this is the inward man. There's, there's much more to it th than that. So, um, 
It also, another word that stands out to me is, is, is pleasure. And this is where, this is the enjoyment or the satisfaction that's derived from uh, someone's liking, you know. And again, we're viewing this about God. What does he take delight in? What does he, um, uh, what does he enjoy? What brings, not that he has, he, not that he has satisfaction. It's more of what we feel on the inside of us too. So, um now, and then, and then the word that stood out in the, the, uh, the derivative there above was a valuable thing. What does God take great value in? When He looks at all of us, when He looks at people, what's His valuation of us? You know, I love the Shark Tank. I like listening to all the different things, and they're always talking about, well, that's a, that's a terrible evaluation, you know. Um, so what does God value? And I, I know that, you know, in, in that dream, he just was re-emphasizing to me about our calling evangelistically and the good news is to help, help people recognize that he's more focused on the inward man than anything else in our lives and the development of that on a daily basis. Now, the first instance that I'm going to use, I want to look at here is in Proverbs uh, 16, verse 7. This, this is a man's ways. Now, this, I, some, of these, some of these passages, I, I really don't have... It just baffles my mind. Let me just say that. Um, like this one here. When a man's ways, Derek, I, I, please, and the word for please here means to... Uh, delight to be pleased with or to satisfy and it, it it's actually refers to like satisfying a debt oh man think of the feeling you get when you pay that you have no mortgage left oh my we'll be there in maybe 36 months almost there that is such a relief and the feeling you get from that is just absolutely satisfying that's that's what it it's referring to there and that's so when a man's ways are, 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 are pleasing or are satisfying to Yahweh, what does he do? He makes even our enemies and our adversaries, those that are, that are hating us, um, those that are on the opposite side, and it, if you look at it, it speaks of an opposite tribe or party, or, or those that are hostile to us to be at shalom uh, with him. That's remarkable. When we, are, when we are in this delight mode and our, 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 path where our pathway aligns with the eternal plan, God says even enemies, He can deal with them. He can cause peace to even those that are, those that are hostile against us, and you know, hum, human or demonic. And the onus is on Him doing that, not us doing it. Our part is to do the things that are, that are delighting and part of the eternal plan. So I, re I really love that. Don't you? There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of turmoil going on, but we're in a, we're in a different season. I mean, I, I know there's... It's just really strange how we're all... We, we all serve um, a singular vision and purpose, but yet we're all at different stages um, spiritually and what we're encountering um you know six months ago if i stood up here i'd be telling you i feel like i was in an all-out 
war. Every time I'd go to sleep, it'd be like a bloodbath type um, dream or something that would come. But now it's it's not that. It's it's things like this. It's like um, maybe it's the results of all the intercession and all the the prayer that went before that has now translated into a form of peace and a declaring the message of the inward man. I don't know. It's just really it's just really interesting the the seasons that we go through. Um, the next instance that I want to mention is involves the uh, tefillah uh, prayer. Proverbs 15, verses 8 and 9. It says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to Yahweh, but the tefillah of the upright is his delight. The word delight here is rosan from ratzeh, and it just means to be delight to be pleased with, and it's all that word to satisfy a debt. So there's like three or four different words that um, I've studied uh, with this together. So I just think that's incredible, don't you? The linking of the this type of prayer that pastor's written about in, I think it showed up in the Razor's Edge and, and another one of the uh, revelatory prayer books, I believe. Um, when, when we're operating in this way, we are, it, this is, God takes great delight in that. He's pleased with us. And I think that's remarkable, you know, don't you? I mean, because so many times the enemy will come to us or, or we'll have these own thoughts thinking, man, what is it, you know, you guys are still praying. Man, you've been doing this for 25 years. Why don't you just sit down, take a break, sit in the recliner, do nothing. And, you know, he comes with us at all different angles and, and it's always to to focus on getting us away from prayer. But God says, that's what I delight in. You know, I don't know. I don't, it's hard for us all to imagine how the church talks about prayer, but then they don't actively engage in it the, the way the Scripture says. Um, and I mean, let's just keep reading. The way of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, Yahweh, but He loves... Ahab has that strong affection for them that follow or to run after righteousness. All of this is in an order that is just phenomenal to me. And he compares, he compares the wicked with the upright, and he says, I take delight in those that are, uh, that are functioning in this type of prayer. Now, I'm not going to go into the definitions. Pastor's already done a a great thing to that and it just the writer of the Ecclesiastes says there is a season and a time to every uh, kifet's purpose I had not I had not linked this to this word delight so let's look at this to everything there is a season there's that that fixed time or that that appointed occasion and a time to every Purpose and that that defining there is pleasure, thing, of valuable things, a matter that's in the mind under heaven. And then he goes through this whole list. There's a time to do this and a time to do that. And this morning when I was reading this, I focused really on verse three, and 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 notice that it's a time to break down that that parats, the, to break out or to break through. And and it really struck me here that. All of these listings here are things that God takes great delight in. There's a time to uh, refrain from embracing. 
There's a time to embrace. There's a time to love and a time to hate. God, God delights in all these things. And then, so, and this is not a hate message by any stretch of the imagination, but the way God views things, for, over the years we've learned that we cannot try to interpret a perfect characteristic about who God is from our own human lenses. We can try to use examples and, and, and compare, use similes and things like that, but I mean, how do, you, how do you understand, how does God really hate? I mean, it's pure hatred, right? We know there's nothing um, imperfect about it, but it, it's, I, I have a hard time grasping some of these characteristics about who he is. I mean, I get an understanding of it, but I, I just don't, you know, how, do, how, do the, how does the anger of the Lord be kindled against an entire nation of people, and then he starts to move to do things? About the jealousy. I mean, we know the jealousy of the Lord is always about getting people to align with their eternal purpose, right? But anyway, I'm kind of digressing here, but I'm just bringing out the point that some of these principles, um, I mean, we get the love part. I mean, we do <laughs> because we've done that for so many years, but I don't, and I'm bringing this up because there's, there's a passage that I taught in lesson, the first or second lesson, um, um, that that in one passage speaks about the anger of the Lord being kindled against Israel, and He moved David to number the people. Links it back to Yahweh initiating it or allowing it, but then the other one says Satan stood up against him and moved David. So you've got you've got the enemy moving David here and it's the same passage but then over here it says the anger of the Lord Yahweh was kindled against Israel and he moved David so what does that mean how do you how do you um, how do you take the two when it seems to be a contradiction we know it's not but yet the scripture does say that so go back and read that passage it just shows the the to me, I mean, we know we shouldn't be numbering the people. It'd be like pastor going out and say, hey, I'm commissioning uh, you as a Joab individual to go out here and number all the people we've got in the network. It'd be the same equivalent. So we know God is not interested in numbers. And rather than focusing on the numbers, we need to let the Lord bring the increase. He did that daily. We don't, so why do, why do so many ministries, why do so many churches focus on things that God does not really take any delight in. And he, he, you, he was very obvious. He didn't take any delight in that. He allowed it to happen, and there were severe consequences that he gave to David. But one of the things I found out in that whole passage was Joab, before David commissioned Joab, and he said, go out and do this thing. And then Joab turns to the king and says, King David, why are you taking delight in this thing. And that's the exact word he used. So God's way of trying to say, David, this is the last time. Don't do this thing. But this says the king, the, the word of the king prevailed and Joab did what the king said to do. He went out, 70,000 people were killed as a result of it. David had three options. Choose three. None of them were great. He, he said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. And he recognized that when he did that, and that mission was um, 
was completed, then it says his heart smote him. And at that point, he recognized, hey, I should never have done this thing. So the grave consequences of uh, focusing on numbers um, is centered around this thing here. God does not take delight in that. He does not want us doing that. We're not. I'm, I'm just kind of, um, it just solidifies the, the paring down of the army too. You know, you got too many people here. Let them go. They just keep paring it down. And it just shows again. But, but the church is so focused on, oh, we've got 100. Let's get to 200. Oh, we've got five. Let's get to 1,000. How can we do that? And I don't think God really delights in that because he's saying, focus on the things that I want you to be doing, not what you think is going to be beneficial to bring growth and more money and all the things that that the results from that. Um, and why, I don't know why I'm really hammering this because we're going to be tempted to do that. I mean, we're, how many times have you had a thought? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Man, we've only got like 15 people here. We start doing the number thing. That's, a, that's the same kind of thing. And then we quickly are like, oh, no, you know, we, we get back into a line, right? I'm thankful that we are not under the old covenant because if we were, the moment that came into our heads, God would probably be mobilizing to bring a destroying angel to deal. I mean, that's what he did in the Old Testament. We're, we're in the grace. So I'm grateful for that because I've had thoughts like that. And I'm like... You know, I'm not going to go there. Forget numbers. Who cares? If it's 15 of us, great. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000, right? One or two. It, it just, those are great, great numbers. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, um, verses 16 and 7 mention this word purpose again. It says, And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose um, and for every work. And I, I'm just sharing it with you because I had never seen that before. And again, it goes back to when God's ready for you to see something, if it's for you, it will, He will make it known. And I'm grateful for that too. I don't want him. I don't want. I don't want to him. Uh, I don't want to sh know something ahead of the time, and he'll he'll make sure that we get exactly what's what's needed. Right? I mean, it's, it's a principle we've all lived by, but it's really amazing to see it at every phase that we walk in our walk with him because it's different. It's got a different flavoring to it. He, he utilizes everything he's tried to teach us from the previous season, and it goes over into the next season, and it just keeps building and building and building. And boy, I wish we could see our substructure. I wish we could see our root system we have here. <laughs> we are rooted, and we are grounded in the agape. He hammered that in. He's still going to do that. He's still going to continue to remind all of us about the importance of relationship. Those, those first things are still as applicable today as they were 20 plus years ago. Those are the things that keep the foundation sure. And I'm reminding myself of that because we're all tempted, every single one of us, to succumb to our own devices, our own delights, or anything that's going on in our life. And anything can become, if we have anything that's more satisfying than 
this inward man and, and walking with the Lord and the development, then that's when we need to go before the Lord, all of us, and say, you know what, Lord, change me, cleanse me, and trust me, I've, I've been there recently. There's, there's things that he's pointing his finger on as we go deeper, and it, 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 refinement and change is always a part of our relationship, always, because it's just the way it is. <laughs> I mean, he's perfect, we're imperfect, and he's going he's gonna to point out the imperfections in all of us. And he's not going to call it out in front of the masses. He's just going to, he's going to quietly tell us during times of, of prayer and go, you know what, you're focusing too much over here, here, and here. I want that part of you. And we either submit or we resist. And if we resist, it just makes it worse. Because you think, you, we might forget it for a few moments, but he's like, no, I need that, I need that refined. Oh, that's very encouraging, isn't it? Oh, more refinement. It really is when we look at it from his motivation. He, he's doing it because we're sons. He's not doing it because you're a kid, you're a, ch you're a child, or you're, you know, he's, if, if there's no chastening, we're, we're bastards. We're an illegitimate son. I don't want to be that. No, no, you don't either. Now, I'm not saying he's going to chastise. It's not a constant chastising. <laughs> we would never be able to make it, but he, he's going to bring it at... And he doesn't tell us how often. He knows it's going to happen quite, quite a bit, but it's not like he says, I'm going to do it every, every five seconds of the day. I'm going to chastise you, Stacy. Here, here, and constantly correct you or me. It's, all of this has a time and a season, and he directs every, every bit of it. Now, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes has a lot of these references, and I've just pulled a few. Here's another one from Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 5, and this is about keeping vows. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 1, Keep thy foot when you go into the house of Elohim. Boy, I love that phrase. You know, our, our church name speaks of our identity and our purpose. The Father's house, I like to think of it too as the house of Elohim because his heart's here and he's revealed that. Um, I just love that terminology. And be more ready to hear, Shema, to hear what's being released, and not only do that, but to obey, than to give the sacrifice of fools. So he's equating, if you come in here and you're not really ready to hear what's being released from the house of Elohim, or things that are coming um, from his heart, delivered to his people, then, and obeying it, then that's like giving a sacrifice that, that's foolish. For they consider not that they do evil or raw. Be not rash with thy mouth. <laughs> man, I, I, that's a word, I mean, man, we all need as a, as a reminder to, to not be quick with, it's not that you get a rash around your mouth, just, just not be quickly ready to utter just anything that is being shared. And let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before Elohim. So the whole emphasis on this thing about these vows is we're before Elohim, His heart. This all starts it. It's not like, um, I mean, you could apply this to some wedding vow, or, but it's, it's beyond that. It's the house of Elohim coming in there, being ready to hear. And, and, and the truth is, we're a house of proshuke, right? We also are a house of 
Elohim, that where his heart resides, right? So we're not talking literally. It does include a structure, but the structure is, is spiritual. I mean, and so when we come together, we need to be ready to hear what he would say from his heart and be ready to obey it quickly. And don't, don't be uttering things at a, in a rash uh, way. But for God is in heaven and he's upon the earth. So it's very interesting. Let your words be few. And that, that's the term, you know, uh, who was it that wrote that song? Uh, Redmond, Matt Redmond, let your words be few. It's in this context. And then it continues and brings in dreams. For a dream comes through the multitude of business. And then he, 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 he compares it to a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Very, very interesting. But when you make a vow, and that's the verb form, which means you're making a promise to do or give something to God. When you make that vow unto Elohim, defer not to pay it. Don't, don't procrastinate. If, 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 if we're before Elohim, we're, we're saying um, at the end of the service this morning that we're committing to do something, that's a vow before Elohim. That's not a vow before pastor or me or any, anybody else in this room. That's before Him. And we make that, and he just says, make sure that you pay it. Make sure you follow through. Make sure I follow through. And then he says, if you don't, for he has no pleasure in fools. So it's very foolish, it's very stupid to not fulfill that vow. Pay that which you vowed. Better, and better there's tobe there. Tobe is that you should not make a vow than to make a vow and not pay it. So God, God takes delight in us when we are making vows before His heart and we commit to it. That's phenomenal. Think about all the years of commitments we've made. Think about from the very beginning what you committed to do. What, what I committed to do when we came on board. God delighted in that. And, and you can feel this is something that you feel in the inward man. You know when you're, when you're doing something and you feel the, the effects of it, the, the satisfaction. Imagine what God's heart feels when, when, when He sees us doing this. He, he, he lets us know that He's taking delight in it, but it's, it's much more deeper than probably... I know I'm not explaining this very well, but it's, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm just trying to explain the depth of this delight that's in Him that we feel, but I don't think we feel the full gravity of it. Let's take from Monica's book. But it takes no pleasure in fools. Man, the, the verbiage that's here, you know, I'm not telling right you, you old fish-eyed fool, I'm thinking about Sanford son. <laughs> Remember, uh, the, these things are popping into my head right now, but I remember growing up how, I mean, I'm bringing out something humorous here. There were things that I was taught as a young boy, and you think, where, where are these things founded in Scripture? Like, somebody said, well, never use the word fools. And I'm like, well, what do you do with this? You know, I'm not going around calling, you know, um, anybody a fool in here, but God... And the definition says it's something that's silly or, or stupid, okay? If God says He, you know, there are those that are agnoeo or ignorant in the church, I mean, He, 
So these crazy things, ideas we get, call no man a fool, we're to be a fool for Christ's sake, right? What do you do with that? And then when you talk about those kind of things, then people start saying, yeah, but. I'm like, no, that's, that's the scripture is, is very plain. So we want to be those that are not identified as doing things that are silly and those things that he equates to some measure of stupidity. There we go. Help the now let's look at a couple of um, passages that Isaiah spoke of and these are prophetic words of the coming Messiah Isaiah 42 verses 1 through, 1 through 4 behold my servant whom I am uphold mine elect in whom my soul delights he's pleased with satisfied I have put my ruach upon him and he will bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He will bring forth judgment unto truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has set judgment, mishpat, in the earth, and the isle shall wait for his law. Isaiah 53, uh, verses 10 through 12. Yet it pleased, here's the word, pleased the Lord, Yahweh, to bruise him. Now, I, there's no parent in this room. I don't think any of you that have kids are going to say, oh, yeah, I love to bruise my kid, right? I just, I'm just trying to draw a picture here. When God does this, his ways are not our ways. And He does everything in absolute perfection. I don't really fully grasp this. Yes, I know about Christ. He was all this stuff. Some of this stuff doesn't make any sense. I mean, I understand it, but to my human mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause harm to my children, right? But it pleased him to do this because he, he had a greater, a much greater purpose and a much greater intent in mind. He already knew the end of this thing before it even began. He knew that it wasn't going to end in bruising and death, even though it did to some degree. He knew, he knew resurrection was coming. So he had all this in his mind and in his heart. And here are these people at this time frame. I wonder, I mean, we, we have some ideas of how they responded. They they thought he was going to come and reign and rule in the earth while he was on, um, in, in, the earth, in his earthly ministry. And God was like, no, that's not my plan. Again, it just shows how the thoughts of God are totally different than ours and, and his ways are different. And he put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he'll prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahweh is going to prosper, push him forward in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made pagah intercession for the transgressors, transgressors, tongue twister. <laughs> what she said. 
Couldn't quite get that one out. So, so it appears, I mean, you can see interspersed in these verses how um, bruising, grief, um, um, he's going to justify many through all of this. Yeah, he's going to bear the iniquity, but all of this, this positive outcome is going to happen. Um, these things just, they, they, they baffle me sometimes as I'm reading through this. Now let's take a look at another instance. I meant to move this one up, kind of keep it in a sequential flow. Um, Isaiah refers to uh, Cyrus as a ra'ah shepherd to perform all the pleasure of Yahweh. Let's read this. Thus saith the Lord, Yahweh, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb, I am Yahweh that makes all things, that stretched forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself, that frustrates, bring on this frustration, Lord, to the tokens of the liars, and make uh, diviners mad. Yes, do all that, Lord. He's, he can do this. That turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolish. That confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers. There's some other characteristics that are phenomenal. That says, says to Jerusalem, you will be inhabited and to the cities of Judah, you will be built and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. That says to the deep, be dry and I will dry up your rivers. And here it is, that says to Cyrus, He is my Ra'ah shepherd that shall perform all of my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, You will be built, and to the temple your foundation will be laid. If you, read, if you continue reading in the next chapter, it also speaks, he's, he starts the famous verses that we know about to Cyrus, um, my anointed, opening the gates, Loosing the loins of kings. But he, before he gets to that, though, he says, this is connected to him performing all of my pleasure. The things that I have great delight in and, and desire and, and take, uh, have high value for, he's gonna, a person like him is going to be able to do this. We function like this. We are ra'ah shepherds that are performing to our best ability that we know the plan of God and sharing that wherever He sends us. In intercession and when we literally go to the places that he, he chooses to send us. And we too, we too are building and we too are laying foundations like Cyrus here. The, the loins of kings are being loose so they can receive what? The truth that comes from the right hand. Gates are being opened. You get a good laugh out of that one. That's Ken's favorite verse, according to the pastor. I, know, I didn't even see I had to turn away, but I knew that's what he was saying. <laughs> May have to have a four-leaf or a five-leaf or a seven-leaf, you know. We need full coverage. But you see, I mean, this is incredible here. Um, I didn't do much studying on the, the frustrating of the tokens of the liars, but as I was reading through this, I'm like, Lord, I was like, amen, do this. Those that are mad right now in our country, deal with that madness. You know, take care of things that we would otherwise want to just totally, do. I mean, just totally obliterate people. You know, we, we, would, we would want, you know, I'm tired of our country standing up for things, and I know you are as well, of things that are not God-ordained. I mean, it's, 
it's, this is all part of the plan. God's not really, He already knows what's going to happen the next, the next two or three years. He, he's, it's already set in motion. And I know Washington thinks that they control everything. They do not. God Himself is on the throne. He's going to control every, everything. And even if, even if they're making these evil choices like they did in the days of the kings and they're doing things that are right in their own eyes, God's going God's to turn it for the good somehow, some way. But as we continue this path, we focus on these things like being the Ra'ah shepherd. Do you see yourself as a Ra'ah shepherd? Some of you don't see yourself this way. We all function this way. It's all part of the fivefold, right? In a pastoral way, it's, it, it's, it, it's not like we always thought it was, okay? It's not just, oh, he's a pastor, he gets up, shares a message, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, he plays golf all next week, studies a little bit, comes back in, rinses and repeats. Comes to all the cookouts, goes to hospitals, all that kind of stuff. Is that really what a Ra'ah shepherd does? Is that what Ra'ah is? No, it's a visual capability to know, hey, here's all the tobe, here's the raw, and separate it and go, hey, let's go with the tobe. That's who God is, and God is in all of us. You are a Ra'ah shepherd. And I'm not, we're, not, we're not in want. He's going to provide everything we need. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but that's, those are some good, good words for all of us. Now, Isaiah 55. This is, um, we've all, we all know this passage, you know, Monica prepared the, uh, the book there on the, the fivefold thoughts and ways. But let's look at this again together. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 13. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Derek, saith Yahweh. This is coming and it's saying, this is my plan. I am never going to deviate from this plan. When you start thinking you've got it all worked out, that's not my way. That's not my thought. <laughs> he's he's kind of keeping us in, in line. It's what he's saying with this. Don't, I'm not saying we can't think. I mean, you, you get what I'm saying because we know as we pray and as we intercede, spirit to his spirit, his thoughts become our thoughts. And the way he moves becomes part of our ways and our lifestyle because of his spirit inside of us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not thither, but waters the earth, makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Now look at what happens. So shall my debar word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return unto me void. It's not going to be empty. It's not going to be worthless, but it's going to accomplish everything which I please. That's our word here, delight. It's going to accomplish it. And it will prosper. It's going to push forward the thing whereunto I sent it. And then he says, as that happens, you're going to go out, and that's the principle of uh, you know, the breakthrough, with joy, and then you're going to be led forth with shalom, and the mountains and hills are going to break forth into singing. The trees are going to clap their hands. And instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. These are some interesting studies I didn't do, but I mean, see, I can see it in my spirit. Thorn, fir tree. Instead of the briar, 
the myrtle tree. And it shall be to Yahweh for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So all of this that he's mentioning here is linked to an everlasting sign that's not going to be cut off, which is, which is incredible. So just as a reminder, just when we think we figured out his ways and how he operates, he's like, mm, nope, they're higher. They're always going to be higher. And to that, we can be grateful. Um, look at the time here. Now, the famous fasting passage, Isaiah 58, um, verses 13 through 14. This is at the tail end of the, um, the whole discussion about the fasting. Is this not the fast? And so forth. But Isaiah says here in verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding, your, uh, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. I mean, he goes on this whole list here and says, hey, if you'll, if you'll not focus on your, your pleasures and the way you do things and your words, then verse 14 comes into play. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the plan. That's a whole sequence, and that's a, that's a major sequence of words that are used here. Just really a lot to think about. And I will cause you, we know this verse, to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of thy father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. This is, this is linked to the eternal plan. This is the way he does it. If you're fasting for the wrong reason, he goes through that litany and he says, this is the fast I have chosen. And then he, he culminates all this by saying, turn away from the way you're, you're used to doing the Sabbath. Turn away from doing your own pleasure, the things that you want to do. These are words for, for us and for the, the ecclesia that should be functioning as the ecclesia because a lot of this, think 20 years ago before all this ever happened. This church was doing this very thing, doing its own thing, had its own pleasures, had its own way of operating, right? Most churches are still doing this. And this is so sad because it does not have to be this way. And I believe the fasting uh, uh, is, is part of it that can lead up to where it, it strips away our pleasures and we want to be focused on His. It strips away um, doing things our way and accepts His way. So it's the antithesis of all of that. Does that make sense? This is really powerful. Boy, we like to quote, quote verse 14. Boy, I'm going to ride. We will ride. Remember little Cooley singing that one? That's fine, but this other stuff has to happen first. No ride there. And the feeding, I like that too. The feeding follows the riding. I'm like, okay, you're, um, we're going to be coming through the cabin. You know, you're, you're, you're flying, and we're going to serve you beverages. So that's the, kind of the sequence. You fly, you ride, you, you get some refreshments. I'm going to feed you. <laughs> All right, we're running out of time. Isaiah 62. Called uh, Hezbah um, and land of uh, the lands Beulah. 
For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. Man, I'm thankful for that too. Until the righteousness goes forth as brightness, and the salvation as a lamp that burns. And the Gentiles shall see the righteousness, and all thy kings thy glory. And you'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of Yahweh shall name. You'll also have a crown of glory in the hand of Yahweh, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God, in the hand of Elohim. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall your land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hezba, which means my delight is in her. For the Lord Yahweh delights in thee. Man, wow. And thy land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall Elohim rejoice over thee. There's that verse. We quote that one too. But all of this kind of is a sequence of things where God's focused on. He's not resting because he's focused on righteousness coming. He's focused on salvation. He's focused on uh, the new name part here. All of these principles we've learned through the years are, are here. And in, in the middle of it, he's telling us, um, I'm, I'm calling you by another name. And that name means I'm delighting in her. Or I'm translating it, del he's delighting in us because Yahweh delights in, 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 in thee. It's just, and then the rejoicing over us comes. Now, let me pause. I feel like I've been just going... 150 miles an hour here. Any comments? Any thoughts that you'd like to share? You don't have to. I've got plenty more to go. It's not like I'm stopping to because I don't have anything to say. <laughs> you only have five minutes to say it in. Yes. <laughs> Yield the floor to you, Mark. Let me just kind of look here because I do want to go. Um, trying to decide which ones to focus on. Okay, let's go to page four. Jeremiah uh, also speaks of this uh, uh, topic of delight, uh, where, th where there was no delight in the word of Yahweh in his day. In Jeremiah 6, 9, it says, Thus saith the Lord uh, Yahweh of hosts, They shall surely glean the remnant of Israel as a vine, Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer. <laughs> You're a grape gatherer. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear Shema? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of Yahweh is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. That is so tragic. No... Who would not have delight in a word that's coming about the eternal plan? Well, just start talking about divers' intercession. You'll find if they're delighted in it or not. Just start talking about things that God's revealed over, over the years to us. And we take great delight in it because why? He does. But then how is it that some people can take it as a reproach and just trample it and say, Oh, that's not of God, even though it's in the Scripture. 
It just, just doesn't fit their paradigm of understanding. It's, it's, oh, God is always pressing us. And always, we face this at every phase. We faced it 20 plus years ago in a different way, but now he's still pressing and going, hey, look at this word here. And all of us and going, wait a minute, did I really read that correctly? And you start studying it out and he starts to open it up. It's the same concept over and over again. And, and so he's telling Jeremiah, these people have no delight in my, my word that's with my plan. And at some point in verse 11, it says, therefore, I am full of the fury of Yahweh. I am weary. I'm, I'm disgusted with keeping it in. I will pour out upon... And this is Yahweh. He's telling this to Jeremiah. He, the internal heart of, and, and plan of God is, is very visible here. In His fury. He says, I'm holding it in, but I'm getting to a point where I've got to release this because they continue to just trample and, and, and see things uh, uh, in a reproachful manner. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and on the assembly of the young men together. For even the husband with his wife shall be taken. The age with that is full of days. Therefore, I am full of the fury of Yahweh and I'm weary of withholding. Two times he repeats it. I will pour out upon the children. And he goes through the whole thing from verse 13. From the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. That's a hard word. And it just, yes. I think you repeated your verse. You actually have two verse 11. Okay. I just wanted Scratch that. Yes, yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yep. So it's not a double. It's just I inserted it twice. Sorry. That's okay. You, on, you made it a double issue. He really means it. Right. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, Stacy. Yeah. Um, but you only have verse 11 twice, I think. Yep. Twice. So when you go to verse 12, it starts up. I must have had a coughing fit or something when I was doing some of that. <laughs> <laughs> or let's call, let's use that as a... As a um, so everyone is being affected when, when the fury of the Lord is released. Now, at what point does he determine when to, when to respond in this way? I mean, we know the book of Revelation is filled with the wrath, which would be the equivalent of fury. They're related. And that's, that's at his discretion. <laughs> we, we, we don't release fury. We don't release wrath. Because we would do it in a wrong manner. But there will come a day, there will come a time when God is so, He cannot contain Himself because things have, begun, have gotten so evil and so wicked in the earth, this is coming. Um, and it will impact everybody from the least to the greatest because they're, they're, they're partnering in this case with covetousness, which is, is, it means to plunder or unjust gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So, touching every part of the fabric of the people. And then if we keep reading here, I'm going to go to verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, 
This is what He wants from us. This is what He wants in this environment. Stand in the ways, see, ask, or sha'al for the old paths. Where is the good way, the, the, the tobe derrick, and walk therein. And as we do that, we will find rest. And there's that linking to one of the messages that Pastor spoke about, finding rest for your souls. But look at what happened here. But they said, we will not walk therein. Verse 17, so God, okay, all right. And then he says, I've set watchmen over you. He's continuing to try to probe his people to align, right? <laughs> Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. So tragic. God demands, he never took delight in sacrifices and all the the. the it says that in Samuel, right? I, take, I, didn't take, I don't take delight in, in, in the killing of animals and all that stuff. I take great delight in somebody that's obeying, shamaing my voice. <laughs> How is that possible? Okay, you instituted this thing, God. Levitically, you instituted this. But he's trying to show even the people in the Old Testament times that was not the objective. It wasn't about slaughtering of animals. It was about you... I said do this, and I was going to see if you're going to obey. It was about obedience all the time. Release the word, obey it. That's it. Sums it all up. When God says something for us to do, if He says, I've called you to be intercessors, and He's activated that in us, and we start doing it, we're following Him in obedience, and we'll continue to do that until we leave this earth. Jeremiah again says that Yahweh delights in loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in, in Jeremiah 9, 23-26. And I'm going to skim through the rest of these. Malachi 2, verse 7. This is a verbalization of raw doers as tobe in the sight of the Lord. Yahweh is wearied by their words. And they say, how have we wearied you? Everyone that does raw is tobe in the sight of Yahweh. And he delights in them, or where is the, where's the God of judgment? So he. Uh, then there's the messenger of the covenant. This is linked to the forerunner. I had never seen this phrase hidden in here. I really didn't, but it's there. Malachi 3 10 through 12, the bringing of the tithe into the storehouse. This word, delightsome land, is from one of our words. It's, he. Um, and then Paul, I want to end with Paul here just by saying, Paul wrote in Romans 7, and I'm not going to read this, but I will read verse 22 and we'll stop. For I delight, and the word for delight there means to rejoice and to feel satisfaction in what? The law of God after the inner man. <laughs> there's, there's the linking of that dream with this and the connection to delight. These are some of the things that God delights in, and they're also the things that He says, I am not even associated with, I don't like Him, have nothing to do with. And I know that we're all on this pathway, and we're all going to be challenged during, He's challenged me in, the, in these last few months to go, I don't really delight in that. You need to get rid of that. Let me have that. So, 
be, be open to submit in a new way is, is my last word. So with that said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Thank you.